Amen. Well, welcome. My name is Kyle Collins. I'm the executive pastor of adult ministries here at Pulpit Rock. And I just want to thank you for your presence with us this morning, whatever that looks like. Thank you for joining us in the ways that you were able. It is good to be together. And so thank you for being part of this. One of the things that I wanted to let you know about, uh, 12 days ago, there was an explosion in Beirut, Lebanon. I'm sure many of you have seen uh, the news stories about that. Um, catastrophic, uh, more than 170 people lost their lives and many more were injured. But in addition to some of the loss of life and loss of infrastructure there in Lebanon, uh, there was also a huge loss of food storage uh, in, in the midst of what the country was already walking through, which is a lot of food insecurity and a lack of food. And so what you may not know is that we have some friends and some partners in Tyre, Lebanon. Uh, Pastor Mohammed Yamut, we've talked about him uh, with the Lighthouse Project and some of the work they've been doing with the refugees. They have been able to step into the gap and begin to provide some tangible help uh, in this moment of need. And so we wanted to give you a quick update from Pastor Mohammed. He sent us this video uh, there at the site of the explosion in Beirut. Morning, everybody. Uh, at 6.15 in the morning, I'm at the site of the explosion. Uh, it's just total devastation. You can look around and see the buildings, what has happened here. It's like a hurricane has came through and everything is just damaged and many people have suffered. Over 170 people died, 6,000 injured, and many more missing. Uh, it just hurts so much to be here, yet uh, I'm here to bring hope. And I call on you to help us do that. There is so much to do, the needs are overwhelming, but God is good. And I'm sure that God will use this for his honor and for his glory. Thank you for your prayers and your support. God bless you. Bye. It's breathtaking. I, I love what he said. It is hard to be here, but I am here to bring hope. And just his invitation for us to join him in doing that. Wanted to invite you to do that. We've set up a fund uh, for Lebanon relief. Uh, and if God leads you and you want to give to that, 100% of that fund will go straight to Tire Church where they will be able to disperse it as needed there in Lebanon. If you're watching online, you can go to pulpitrock.com give and just mark your gift for Lebanon relief. And if you're on site at FH or here uh, at the main campus, you can do that in any of the giving boxes in the back as well. Well, next week, uh, we're going to transition from this armchair expert series. Uh, Gary's going to close us out today. It is so good. I'm excited for you to hear what he has to share. Next week, we're going to have just a special Sunday where we talk a little bit about where God is leading us as a church and what is next uh, as we head into the fall uh, and the rest of this year. We are holding loosely the way in which we do things, the methods, but the thing that God has called us to and what we do as a church has not and will not change. And we're very excited about what God uh, is just leading our church towards and, and inviting us to step into. And so please, however you are able, join us, tune in, be part of next week, and hear some of what God uh, is inviting us as a church to step into. Uh, and we would love for you to join us in doing that this fall. Would you help me welcome Gary Cantwell? Mm -hmm. 
Gary uh, is going to close out our Armchair Expert Series today in a big way. Jerry is the Chief Communications Officer of the Navigators. He's also the, uh, our current ch uh, Chairman of the Elder Board at Pulpit Rock. Gary, thank you for being with us and joining us this morning. It's an honor to be here. We are so glad to have you. Uh, you know, it could be because I studied communications in college, but I think your job is really fascinating. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do with the Navigators? Sure. Uh, the Navigators is uh, an international organization. We've got people in over 100 countries, 6,000 Navigators all over the world, all committed to advancing the gospel of Jesus and his kingdom into the nations through spiritual generations of disciple makers living and discipling among the lost. My role is just to help provide good communication with them, to help our staff have the tools and resources they need in order to do their jobs well, and also public relations if we ever need to talk about the navigators publicly as well. That's part of what Which I do. Hopefully good stuff. Yeah, mostly good stuff, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so both internal and external, managing some of that stuff. We threw out the, the term elders. Uh, I know that many people maybe have different ideas about what that means based on their community of faith or how they was, uh, you know, grew up. But tell us, what does it mean to serve as an elder chairman of the Elder Board here at Pulpit Rock. Yeah, it's a, it's a real honor and a blessing to be a part of that group. There are about six of us. Uh, Jonathan is one of the elders as well, the senior pastor. And our main focus is just to uh, be used by God to lead this church into the vision that God has called us to. And so we, we look at doctrinal issues, we look at financial issues and cultural things that are happening, and just help uh, make sure that we are doing what God has called us to do in the city and in the world. Thank you for the ways that you serve us and our church uh, in that role. Uh, I, I see Patty here. I know you and Patty have grown kids. Can you tell us a little bit about your family? Sure. Patty is a kindergarten teacher at the Classical Academy, trying to figure out this week what that will look like uh, <laughs> when school resumes. Uh, we have two grown kids. My son David is at uh, Tuck School of Business in Dartmouth in New Hampshire, and he is married to Bethany, and they have a dog named Moose. And then my daughter Melody is married to Marcus. They live in Chicago. She just finished her master's at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, and her husband Marcus is getting a PhD at University of Chicago. So we're one of those people some of you can identify with where your kids are much smarter than you are, and I'm reminded of that constantly. That's awesome. Well, I really, truly am excited about the word that God has placed on Gary's heart. Uh, I want to pray for him, and then I'm going to let him take it. Would you join me in just praying over Gary in our morning? Father God, we love you. Uh, we thank you for Gary. We thank you for his love for you. We thank you for his love for our church. Uh, we just ask that uh, your Holy Spirit would help us hear your voice in Gary's as he leads this morning. Would you help us to follow wherever it leads? Amen. Amen. Thanks, Kyle. Well, it's mid-August. And for many of our families, it's time to go back to school, whatever that will look like. It'll be a strange experience, I'm sure, for a lot of us. And we are at the end of what has been one of the most unexpected, unpredictable, and unprecedented summers that most of us have ever experienced. Just a few months ago, who would have ever dreamed that for five months straight you would be worshiping online in your pajamas, or that you would go to church at a beer hall on Sunday morning. Now, from a global pandemic that shut down almost everything to the eruption of protests about ethnic tensions that have been brewing for a lifetime, 2020 has been one tumultuous year. 
Last week, Pastor Wanda Anderson talked with us about how the world is groaning with birth pains around the topics of ethnicity and social justice. Well, that's certainly true in 2020, but I think it was also true in 1968. Now, you may not be old enough to remember this, but 2020 has a lot of similarities to 1968, which was one of the most turbulent years in the 20th century in America. Here are just a few of the traumatic events that happened in 1968. Civil rights leader Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated in April. Presidential candidate Robert Kennedy was assassinated in June. Major protests about the Vietnam War and civil rights for African Americans were happening in practically every city in the nation. And they turned into full-scale riots in more than 100 cities like Memphis, Chicago, Washington, D.C. At times, it felt like the whole country was on fire. I was a little kid in 1968 and remember visiting Washington, D.C. in great fear because of the people protesting in the streets and seeing soldiers with rifles and gas masks guarding the nation's capital like it was a war zone. But at the end of that year, something unexpected and truly amazing happened that literally changed the way we looked at the world forever. In December 1968, NASA launched Apollo 8, which was the first manned spacecraft to leave Earth orbit and go all the way around the moon, 200,000 miles into space. Along the way, they looked back to take the very first photograph of the entire planet Earth from space. Now, it may be hard for you to imagine if you're under 55, but this picture was mind-blowing at the time because it was the first time that we saw the entire planet Earth in one photograph. It looked beautiful and peaceful and actually quite small and frail in the vast expanse of space. This was quite a contrast to the way it felt to the people living in the midst of all the tension and turmoil back home on planet Earth. Now, one reason I wanted to share this story with you is because our very first speaker in the Armchair Experts series was Air Force General Jerry White, and he told some of his own personal NASA stories. Since I'm the last speaker in the series, I thought I ought to share a NASA story also. Of course, Jerry was actually working at NASA to make it all happen. I just watched it on TV. But an even better reason to share this story is that this morning, I want to do the same thing for us that the astronauts did for the world in 1968. In the midst of our disruptive global pandemic, as we are struggling with protests about ethnic diversity that have made this a t summer of tension and turmoil here, as we are bombarded with angry attitudes, toxic tweets, polarizing posts, slanted stories, and vicious videos from people on every side of this issue, as we try to discern in our own hearts how we, should fail, uh, how we should feel about ethnically based social injustice, as we all try to figure out whether Black Lives Matter is part of a destructive social agenda or just a politically correct fad or something that actually has some truth to it. Like Apollo 8 this morning, let's take a view of the ethnicity in our world today from 200,000 miles up. 
Since we're a church that is committed to the truths of Scripture, let's look in the Bible for the big picture of how God created humankind and how He views people of every ethnicity. Now, when I began to look in this, for this perspective in God's Word, I was surprised to see how integral ethnicity has always been to God's plan for the world, how crucial ethnic diversity is to the church today, and how vital ethnicity is for the gospel itself. So, I'll start with what I'll call the five-minute story of humankind from creation to the cross. Let's begin at the beginning. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created that beautiful blue marble that we saw earlier. Then, after creating the land and the sea, the plants and the fish, the birds and the animals, He created man and woman, Genesis 1.27. So, God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created him. Male and female, He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, all of humankind is made in the image of God. Every single human being bears God's image. Regardless of size or shape, gender or ethnicity, we are all made in the image of God. And as our maker, God gave us something to do. He told us to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth. But we got a little distracted. In Genesis 3, we learned that Adam, through Adam and Eve, we sinned. We disobeyed God's commands. And there was a price to pay for our sin. We were separated from God and cast out of the Garden of Eden. Sin began to grow and grow until the wickedness of man was great in the earth. And every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So God wiped out humankind with the flood. But he saved Noah and his family. After the flood, He gave them the same command that He had given to Adam and Eve in Genesis 9-1. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But instead of spreading out throughout the earth, all the people gathered together and ignored God, seeking to make their own name great. They built a big tower in Babel. This was an act of prideful arrogance and defiance of God. So He put an end to it. Genesis 11-9. The Lord confused their language of all the earth, and from there the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. This time, God, God didn't just command them to fill the earth. He confused their languages and physically spread them out Himself. So now we have humankind scattered all over the earth, speaking many different languages, developing different cultures, what have come to be known as different ethnicities. And among this great ethnically diverse variety of people on earth, God established a chosen people through Abraham or Abram and his descendants, as we read in Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and those who curse you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed." God made promises to Abraham and his descendants, covenants that he would be their God and they would be his people. These promises were with one ethnicity to the physical descendants of Abraham who became known as the Jews, the people of Israel. 
So several hundred years later, through Moses, God established the Old Testament law for the Jews to provide them with a means of being forgiven for their sin and with a key purpose to set apart the people of Israel from the other peoples of the earth. God called them a holy nation. The word holy literally means to be special and set apart. The Jews were a special people set apart for the purposes of God. So from the time of Moses until the time of Christ, the people of Israel increasingly separated from the other nations, developing a system of laws, commandments, ordinances, and traditions that made it unlawful for a Jew to associate with someone who was not a Jew, someone who wasn't descended from Abraham. Now, there were a few notable exceptions where God welcomed a non-Jewish person to join the people of Israel, like Rahab or Ruth, but they were few and far between. As a whole, the non-Jewish people were excluded from the promise of God's forgiveness and salvation that was made available to the people of Israel. They were not descendants of Abraham. They were ethnically separate from the Jews. Now, this promise of salvation that God gave to the Jews gave them hope that no matter how bad things got, the people of Israel always had God to protect them. He would be their God, and they would be His people. The people of other nations did not have that hope. They were without God. They were without forgiveness for their sins. Now, this was good news for the Jews, but bad news for everyone else, bad news for the people of other ethnicities. This takes us all the way to the cross, to the way it was when Jesus came to earth about 2,000 years ago. The Jews were the people of God, the other nations were not. The Jews began to use the word ethne to refer to those who were not Jews. This is where we get the word ethnic. The ethne were people of different ethnicities. In most Bible translations, ethne is usually translated either as Gentiles or nations. We'll mainly use the word Gentiles this morning to refer to the ethne, but nations is also a good way to translate this word. The problem is, in our modern culture, we tend to think of nations geopolitically as countries rather than as ethne, the peoples joined together by a common ancestry no matter where they live. So, often in the New Testament, we will read about the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews and the ethne. This is a way of referring to everyone in the world. Everyone is either a Jew or a Gentile based on whether you were descended from Abraham or not. You are either Jewish or you're one of the ethne of another ethnicity. Most of us in this church are Gentiles unless you come from an ethnically Jewish family. Now, this separation between the Jews and Gentiles was most evident in the temple in Jerusalem. At the temple, the Jews would worship God. They would offer sacrifices for the forgiveness of their sins. This is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. It was the place of the very presence of God. The temple was a sacred place for the Jews. The Gentiles were only able to go as far as the outer courtyard of the temple grounds. They weren't allowed in. There was a low wall around the temple courtyard that served as the barrier that the Gentiles could not cross. It's sort of like if we invited guests to come to our church on Sunday morning, but we told them they had to stay in the parking lot. They couldn't come in the building and certainly not into the sanctuary. Now, however, the Jews took this a little bit more seriously than we might. 
In the time of Jesus, there were signs all along this dividing wall warning the Gentiles not to cross this line. In fact, if you go to the Israel Museum today, you can actually see one of these signs, literally written in stone, etched into a stone tablet. The translation of this says, no foreigner is to enter within the forecourt and the wall around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. This dividing wall in the temple was a clear physical representation of the barrier, of the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. This is the world of the New Testament, the world of Jesus. This is the way things were when He went to the cross. Now, after Jesus had been crucified, raised from the dead, and ascended to heaven, He called the Apostle Paul to be one of the first ever missionaries to tell the good news of Jesus, the gospel, to people all over the world. Paul gave a, uh, God gave Paul a special insight about the Gentiles that had been hidden throughout history, but was now revealed to Paul and the other apostles. So throughout all of Paul's missionary journeys and in many of his letters, he talks about the mystery of Christ or the mystery of the gospel that was revealed to him for the purpose of sharing it specifically with the Gentiles. What is the mystery of the gospel? Let's look at what Paul writes about it in his letter to the Ephesians. Turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 12. Paul wrote this letter in about 60 AD to the new Christians who lived in Ephesus, which was a predominantly Gentile city on the west coast of Turkey. Most of the Ephesian believers were Gentiles. Many of them were Greek or Roman, but they were of different ethnicities that were not Jewish. They were not descendants of Abraham. They were not part of God's chosen people. They did not have access to God's forgiveness of their sins. Paul tells them how all of this changed with the death of Jesus on the cross. Let's start reading in Ephesians 2 verse 12. Remember that you, Gentiles, were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, that is a downright depressing description. Without God's forgiveness and salvation that was offered to only His chosen people, the Jews, the Gentiles, the ethne, were just plain out of luck, having no hope and without God in the world. Remember that this description applies to most of us as Gentiles. It was good news for the Jews, but bad news for all other ethnicities. Thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in His flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that He might create in Himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Paul is telling the believers in Ephesus that as Gentiles, they were once far off from God. But when Jesus died on the cross, He gave them forgiveness. He paid the price for their sins, making a way for everyone, both Jews and Gentiles, people of every ethnicity, to come near to God. In this way, 
Jesus broke down the dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. Not the physical wall around the temple, but Jesus broke down the very need for the wall altogether. There was no longer a separation of the Jews from the ethne, from people of other nations. God was including people of every ethnicity in His plan of salvation. No more bad news. This was good news for the Gentiles. That's literally what the word gospel means, good news. And this reconciliation didn't end there. God didn't just end the hostility. He created unity. The Jews and Gentiles are truly united as one through the death of Jesus on the cross. Paul calls us all one body. We were far apart, but now we are close together. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through Him we both have access in one Spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. The Gentiles are no longer strangers to the covenants of promise through Abraham. They are no longer aliens to God's chosen people, but they are now fellow citizens with the Jews. Now remember that the temple was the dwelling place of God and Gentiles weren't allowed in, that this new household of God isn't made of stone. It's not a physical building. Let's pick up in verse 19. The household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus Himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God, by the Spirit. This new household of God is made up of everyone who believes in Jesus, whether they are Jews or Gentiles. They are now growing together into a dwelling place for God. This is what we call the body of Christ, the church. We are no longer separate peoples. We are now one body. The Gentiles, the ethne, are no longer on the outside of the temple, out in the parking lot, unable to come into God's presence. After the death of Christ, God's presence still dwells in a temple, but it is no longer a physical temple made of stone. We, as followers of Jesus, Jews and Gentiles together, are the temple of God. God's presence now dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. Paul wraps up this portion of his letter by finally revealing the mystery of Christ. What is this mystery? Let's look at Ephesians 3, 4. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. For thousands of years, since the time of Abraham, the Jews have been God's chosen people, the sole recipients of the promise of God. But now Jesus has made the Gentiles fellow heirs of God's forgiveness and salvation, members of the same body of Christ, and partakers of the promises made to Abraham and the people of Israel, that He would be their God and they would be His people. Now, all of us, of all ethnicities who put our faith in Jesus, we can all say, He is our God and we are His people. That is the mystery of the gospel. 
everyone, regardless of their ethnicity, is able to receive God's forgiveness and salvation through Jesus. And we are all one body made up of every ethnicity. This was God's plan all along, but we weren't able to see it before Jesus made it known. As Paul said, it was not made known to the sins of other generations, to the sons of men in, in other generations, but it was revealed to Paul and then to all of us through God's Word and through the Holy Spirit. Of course, like any good mystery, there were clues to this truth. There are passages throughout the Bible that God gave us to let us know that this was His plan all along. I'll share just one with you. Remember God's covenant with Abraham back in Genesis 12? Even when God was selecting His chosen people through Abraham and his descendants 2,000 years before Christ, God said that in them He would bless all of the families of the earth. The apostle says this is sort of an early clue to the mystery of the gospel when he writes in Galatians 3, 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. In Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Those who are of faith means anyone who believes in Jesus, whether uh, Jew or Gentile. It's no longer talking about just the physical descendants of Abraham. That was God's plan all along. People of every ethnicity, all the ethne, would be forgiven and welcomed to God's family if they simply put their faith in Jesus. For me, the clearest passages that show that the people of God will come from all ethnicities are found in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation. There, God reveals beautiful and fantastic images of what heaven will look like. Revelation 7, 9. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now, it really couldn't be more clear that the body of Christ that will be together forever in heaven is made up of a great multitude from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages. And in order for them to be in heaven, people of every ethnicity must hear the good news of Jesus and put their faith in Him here on earth. So, as followers of Pulpit Rock Church, uh, followers of Jesus at Pulpit Rock Church in Colorado Springs in 2020, how are we to respond to God's heart for ethnic diversity? How does the mystery of the gospel affect us today? The mystery of the gospel affects the way we view people in our world. Traditionally, we have understood biblical teaching about the nations to mean sending missionaries to all the nations all over the world. This is certainly true and important, and there are many people here at Pulpit Rock Church who have given their lives to doing just that. But they will be the first to remind you that nations doesn't just mean countries on the other side of the world. The ethne means, means people of all ethnicities, regardless of where they live. It's not limited to geographical boundaries. It is important that we take the gospel to all the ethne, wherever they are, on the other side of the world on the other side of town, or maybe even right next door. 
The mystery of the gospel affects the way we view people in our church. Take a look around you in the sanctuary. If you're watching at FH Beer Works, look around at the people there. If you're watching at home, try to remember what our church, uh, the people in our church look like. Do the people in our church at Pulpit Rock Church remind you of the great ethnicity, the great diversity that we will see in heaven? The ethne includes people whose skin color may be much different than yours. For us, the ethne includes people who recently came to America. It includes people who have lived in America for hundreds of years, whether they came, they were here before Columbus arrived, whether they came on the Mayflower, or whether they were brought here on a slave ship. Now, we may not have people of every nation in Pulpit Rock Church, but shouldn't we at least aim to represent the beautiful diversity that God has placed around us in Colorado Springs? I want to say to everyone in our sanctuary today or watching online, your own ethnic heritage is important to God. Whether you're white or African-American, Hispanic or Persian, Chinese or Cherokee, Jewish or German, you are welcome here. And we believe that your ethnicity matters to God. The mystery of the gospel affects the way we view people in our own heart. Do you have a dividing wall of hostility when it comes to people of different ethnicities in your own heart? Maybe you resent people of other ethnicities because of how their social and political concerns are portrayed in the streets and in the media. Maybe you've had a bad experience with someone of another ethnicity that has caused you to stereotype all of them. Maybe you were raised to think of people different than your own ethnicity as people to be ignored or looked down upon or maybe even feared. I know I was probably 20 years old before I ever invited a black friend over to my house or before I went into the home of someone of another ethnicity. For me, growing up in the South during the turbulence of the 60s, the attitudes about people of other ethnicities that I had back then are not the attitudes that I want to have today as I seek to honor God with the way I view people made in His image. When I see someone who is ethnically not like me, I want to think of them as a brother or sister, not as someone different or lesser whose life doesn't matter as much to me. By the way, I want to give a shout out to my small group. We meet on Thursday nights just to do life together, talk about the sermon, and pray. We had a great discussion this week about Pastor Wanda's sermon from last Sunday, sharing what we were learning about our own views of ethnicity and struggling with some of them, and how we are trying to see through God's eyes to have a biblical perspective of ethnic diversity. What does it look like in our lives today? Now, if you're not in a small group, look for info from our church in the next few weeks about joining one this fall. As believers, the only way for us to think about people of other ethnicities is to see them as God sees them, people made in Him as His image for His glory, people He sent His Son to die for so that we could all be members of one body in Christ. All people, all ethne, are loved by God. And as people made it in His image, we should love them too. 
Now, this amazing ethnic diversity of people on earth is something that God created. The mystery of the gospel is that everyone, regardless of their ethnicity, is able to receive God's salvation through Jesus. That's what makes the gospel good news. Ethnic diversity is at the very core of the gospel. Valuing ethnic diversity is not a new idea. It's not a politically correct fad. It's something that has been part of God's plan all along. I'll close with another vision of heaven from the end of the book of Revelation. Now, it's hard to imagine what heaven will be like. We know there won't be a dividing wall of hostility in heaven. We know heaven will be filled with the glory of God. But listen to what else we know will be there from John's vision of the new Jerusalem in Revelation 21:22. And I saw in the temple, I saw no temple in the city. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations." The glory and the honor of the ethne will be celebrated forever in heaven, where together every tribe, every tongue, every nation, all God's children will be singing glory, glory, hallelujah, he reigns. can stand and join us in worship.